Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of You Make Me Sick, a podcast where we were used to be dedicated just to pathogenic microorganisms, but we've expanded our horizons. Uh, did one episode, obviously, on uh, radiation toxicity, and this is our second episode now on heavy metal toxicity. Excellent! So, uh, our first episode was on arsenic. Uh, for those of you who hasn't, haven't listened, please uh, go back, take a listen to it. Uh, this one is going to be on lead. So when I was researching, you know, what heavy metals to actually do, which might be the most interesting, uh, and which actually surprisingly had uh, the highest mortality rates, arsenic and lead seem to be the top two. So uh, with arsenic in the bag, uh, here we go on uh, doing lead toxicity. So what do we know about lead toxicity? Uh, how long has it been around? So there actually... Uh, is some data that puts it back in second century BC. Uh, there were physicians that kind of understood the links back then between lead exposure and neurological deficits. There's actually suspicion that the fall of the Roman Empire might have been contributed partially to lead toxicity. Uh, there's a, a thing called Sapa. Uh, Sapa was the syrup of unfermented grape juice. And they used to reduce this down in vessels and they used it as a preservative for wine. Uh, it was thought that the uh, the vessels that they actually uh, kind of reduced this down in uh, were lead. Uh, the lead seeped into the wine, the wine seeped into the Romans, uh, and this led just to lower IQs and cognitive uh, issues, and then eventually just the kind of a downfall of the Roman Empire. Just a theory. Uh, there were definitely, obviously, many other issues at hand. Uh, I won't get into it. Uh, if you want to find a nice history podcast on the Roman Empire, Feel free to do that. <clears throat> I think Dan Carlin might have one. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But he does the uh, Hardcore History podcast for anybody who's into like seven hour long podcasts. Check it out. Anyway, uh, in modern times, lead, uh, it's really become more of an issue uh, with occupational hazards and then with uh, exposure to leaded paints and other kind of issues that the Industrial Revolution brought along. By the end of the 19th century, uh, childhood lead poisoning from these lead-based paints was actually beginning to be recognized as a huge issue. And then as the 20th century progressed, uh, sort of the recognition just for the subtle manifestations of lead toxicity that weren't uh, overly obvious before. Uh, even today, there's still kind of mounting evidence uh, implicating lead as just a really potent neurotoxin. And it results in a lot of negative neurological effects, uh, especially on cognition even in really low concentrations in the blood, which we'll talk about in a few minutes here. Uh, there's still difficulties too surrounding kind of the complete elimination of lead, which I'll also talk about in just a second. Uh, getting it out of the environment's really difficult. And especially with children, uh, lead toxicity is a huge issue, which I will talk about as well in just a second. Uh, compared to adults, children are a much higher susceptibility uh, just for lead toxicity. So why is lead so toxic? Uh, so lead's not biodegradable, does not break down, uh, has a remarkable, remarkable persistence just to stay in the environment where it's at, uh, depending what form it's in. Because of this, uh, lead was used even centuries ago in, in paints uh, and production of, uh, I guess, bullets, ammunition, uh, leaded gasoline, all of these things. Uh, any kind of lead byproduct from that just does not go away kind of still remains in the paint. Sometimes that paint will break down into a dust. The dust falls down to the soil. Same thing with unleaded gasoline. Uh, 
So these right here, they really don't go away in the environment. So any exposure to those, uh, we can inhale them. If you touch them, put your fingers in your mouth, you'll ingest them. That's why lead is, uh, is really so toxic is just because of the fact it doesn't really biodegrade and never leaves the environment. It should be noted, uh, as far as lead paint goes, at least here in the United States, uh, on residential buildings, on furniture, and on children's toys, in 1978, there was a restriction uh, of the amount of lead allowed in paint. It was cut down to 0.06%, and that was even further reduced in 2008. Uh, as of 2008, you can only have 0.009% of lead in any kind of paint that's used uh, for buildings, furniture, children's toys. Uh, it'd still be, it's still a major source of lead contamination throughout the world though. Uh, this is something that the WHO, uh, who recently started working to restrict the use of lead paint worldwide, uh, just a couple of years ago in 2021 came up with an initiative for that, uh, just because they recognize that all around the world it's still being used or still had been being used uh, largely just uh, in paints in everything. Um, as of a few years ago, there were only 45% of countries that actually have legally binding controls on lead paint worldwide. So, so let's talk about exposure to this. So, you know, how do you kind of get exposed to it? So, uh, like I said, even today, you know, there are several million adults and young children in the U.S. who live in older homes. A lot of these had lead-based paints, uh, even if it's an undercoating of paint. Uh, still has the lead in there. As this old paint ages, it kind of peels, it flakes, uh, it can crumble, it turns into like a fine dust. And that settles everywhere. It can be on the interior of windowsills, on the exterior of houses, it gets into the soil, gets into the dirt, uh, and the surrounding exterior of the home. Uh, the dust and soil has these little particles. Uh, these can actually get into chil children especially, um, just because of their behaviors, get into children's mouths. If it is a dust, you can actually inhale it and breathe it in. Uh, so let's say children, especially toddlers, uh, they have this kind of hand-to-mouth behavior. It uh, becomes a huge issue if they live in a leaded paint home because they can very easily ingest, you know, even small quantities of lead, which can be dangerous. Another source of lead exposure is in tap water. So uh, in 1986, the EPA here in the U.S. anyway actually banned the use of lead pipes and any kind of soldering that involved lead. But uh, there's still about 10 million homes that are estimated to have uh, lead pipes servicing them. So there's still lead in tap water uh, and just water in general being brought to uh, like about 10 million homes. So it's still a pretty significant amount. Uh, in the past, not so much today, uh, you could be, there was lead contamination actually in the air. Uh, this is from uh, leaded gasoline, which is no longer used in the US. I don't think it's used worldwide anymore either. Uh, but leaded gasoline emissions would be, you know, all kind of awesome pollution that gets up in the air. Like I said, lead doesn't biodegrade, so you breathe that in and uh, get exposure to lead from that way. Another issue with the, uh, in the past from this leaded gasoline is that eventually the exhaust settles, and that exhaust oftentimes would settle into areas that were being farmed, areas for crops. So you have soil that's also contaminated and becomes another source for lead contamination. Uh, due to the fact that uh, lead doesn't biodegrade, uh, it sticks around for a very long time. Uh, even soil that's kind of been underneath the ground for a while and undisturbed, there's still lead in there, you're still going to get that, uh, especially in some of your areas where they've been farming. Uh, what is nice is that as of, uh, looks like July of 2021, leaded fuel is no longer sold anywhere in the world. 
But at the same time, you still have areas that uh, for a very long time, especially in heavily populated urban areas, uh, where the soil is probably going to be contaminated for, uh, for quite a long time, uh, just due to the high levels of that unleaded gas exhaust that kind of settled everywhere. So kind of crazy. Uh, there's other forms of exposure, kind of secondary exposures that can happen uh, from occupations and hobbies. Uh, working parents who work in areas where they're exposed to lead can also bring it home to their children. Uh, some of the professions and some of the hobbies that may actually expose you to lead, uh, metal welding, uh, battery manufacturing, recycling. If you're a shipbuilder or a shipbreaker, uh, I guess there's also exposure to lead there. It's uh, also found firing ranges or with any kind of bullet salvaging, any kind of thing that uses ammunition because there's lead in bullets. Uh, you can also get uh, exposure that way. Uh, other sources are from lead smelting or refining, uh, painting or construction work that still uses leaded paints, and then uh, pipe fitting and plumbing as well. You can have exposure uh, from ingestion. Uh, it usually doesn't happen very often. But if you have contaminated pewter or ceramic diningware, or even they used to make uh, decanters made of lead, and if you store any kind of liquid in that for a prolonged period of time, it will actually leach the lead out. So it can be ingested that way. Uh, there are also certain spices that are imported that uh, have lead in them. Uh, cosmetics, certain cosmetics will have lead. I guess there are folk remedies. I'm not sure. I, I didn't delve too deeply in this. I probably should have, but uh, will actually cause you to have exposure to contaminated lead as well. And then uh, ingestion of like lead foreign bodies or retained bullets, uh, which usually if you get shot, sometimes there are bullet fragments they can't get out. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how much uh, of the lead is going to kind of leach from those, but uh, hopefully if you're shot, you'll get the bullet out of you. But I have seen people, I've seen, uh, interestingly enough, just recently, x-rays of somebody who had bullet fragments in their neck that they couldn't get to. Uh, and because of that, uh, they couldn't have a cat, or they couldn't have an MRI. So, but uh, regardless of that, uh, you know, you can get uh, some lead exposure and lead toxicity from bullets, if the bullet doesn't kill you. Uh, so how many people uh, are affected? So... It, about a half a million children right now, between the ages of one to five years old, actually have elevated blood lead concentrations. Uh, in the U.S. here, the CDC defines an elevated, elevated lead concentration of blood to be five micrograms per deciliter. Children under one year of old with elevated blood concentrations, uh, they're consistently lower than those older than one, like the one to four age group, that toddler age group much more likely just due to their habits uh, once again under the age of one if you're an infant you're probably crawling you're probably not doing a lot of hand to mouth toddlers who are up walking around exploring uh, putting all kinds of crap in their mouth much higher rates of lead toxicity in that age group uh, some data on that in 2014 uh, from the cdc there's about 444.5 out of 100,000 children age one to four in the U.S. had a blood level concentration of five to nine micrograms per deciliter, so over the uh, recommended amount. And that was compared to about 148.5 per 100,000 children under one year of age. Uh, it should also be noted that the blood lead concentrations over 10 micrograms per deciliter are also much lower in both groups. Uh, about 50 
to uh, 100,000 for toddlers versus 20 to 100,000 in infants. Uh, so interestingly enough, it's uh, that range of 5 to 9 micrograms per deciliter that uh, toddlers, which I'll talk about in a second, it's actually enough to start causing symptoms and uh, can cause trouble. As far as adults, so adults with uh, elevated blood levels also tend to be pretty low. Uh, this is from 2013. They're only about 20 per 100,000. This is what they considered employed adults, so between the ages of 16 and older. And I think they do the employed adults because of uh, just occupational exposure as well, but uh, had a blood concentration over 10 micrograms per deciliter, so not a lot as far as uh, adults compared to that toddler group. Uh, these are just in the U.S., though. Uh, worldwide, um, probably a bit different. Uh, the WHO in 2021 uh, updated their public health impact of chemicals, the knowns and unknowns, and they estimated that uh, about half of the 2 million lives that are lost every year to chemical exposures were from, were from lead exposure. So lead still causing worldwide about a million deaths per year. Uh, they also kind of calculated that lead affects uh, about 30% lead is responsible for uh, global intellectual disabilities. Uh, it's responsible for about 4% of the global burden of cardiovascular disease and 3% of the global burden of chronic kidney disease. This is just lead. So it, it's pretty impressive that uh, I did not expect lead to cause that much disease and that much disability. Uh, that 30% of intellectual disability in the world is from lead is pretty crazy. And this is also why the WHO, so the WHO recently uh, identified their 10 chemicals of major public health concern, which I'll, uh, I'll throw up on Twitter uh, after I post this. Uh, and lead is one of those 10 chemicals. Uh, this also, this also uh, it, it's prompted action just from the member states um, within the WHO just to protect healthcare workers, or, sorry, not healthcare workers, the health of workers. <laughs> Uh, children and then women of reproductive age as well because lead can uh, pass through the placenta into the unborn child. Uh, at this point the WHO also was joined with the United Nations Environment Program uh, and they formed, a, they formed an initiative called the Global Alliance to Eliminate Lead Paint and uh, they've also partnered in a project funded by the Global Environment Facility and this uh, their goals here is to support about 40 different countries and actually enacting legally binding controls on lead paint. So uh, a huge push by the WHO just worldwide to try and knock down the amount of lead paint and kind of reduce lead toxicity. So how would I know if I have lead toxicity? What if, uh, what if I was eating paint chips for a long time as a child? Did you eat a lot of paint chips when you were a kid? What signs and symptoms uh, may I have? So the signs and symptoms, they vary depending on the dose and the exposure. So chronic exposure, you're going to probably have uh, worse symptoms. Here in the U.S., uh, hundreds of thousands of children have these elevated blood level concentrations. The vast majority, though, are probably asymptomatic. You won't see much. Uh, the problem is, though, even with asymptomatic lead exposure, the real concern is that uh, there's an inverse relationship between blood lead concentration and IQ scores. So even with a little bit of lead in your system, it's shown that uh, your, your intelligence quotient scores go down. To kind of expand on this, uh, the number of IQ points that you lose per unit increase in blood of lead concentration uh, is higher in like that 1 to 10 microgram 
per deciliter range than in the 10 to 20 microgram deciliter range. So even that low exposure uh, to lead can actually cause a, a huge loss just in uh, the neurocognitive function and intelligence. So that it's, uh, it's something that's kind of alarming. Uh, like I said, even here in the United States where there's a half a million children they think are still, or half a million people anyway, still exposed, uh, it becomes an issue where they may not be acutely ill, but you're still having these neurological symptoms due to the exposure to the lead. In children, uh, a lot of times uh, in the more severe cases, the signs and symptoms are often dismissed because they, they kind of mimic just typical toddler you know, illnesses. Uh, signs such as like irritability and constipation, abdominal pain, loss of appetite, which you can do a differential diagnosis on a billion different things, maybe not a billion, but many, many, many different childhood illnesses that could uh, potentially uh, show the same signs and symptoms as lead poisoning. Uh, adults also kind of have these non-specific signs and symptoms too. Uh, with adults though, the longer dur duration of exposure, uh, if you've had an adult who's chronically exposed to lead, they're going to have a few other different symptoms though. Um, they might have high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, and there can be fertility effects as well in women and men, I believe, in little impotence. Uh, as concentrations kind of continue to rise in adults, uh, you start to get the peripheral neuropathy, so kind of numbness of the, you know, like fingers, toes, feet. Uh, it's kind of a common sign. You can get arthritis secondary to, uh, secondary to gout. There's a specific type of gout from uh, lead poisoning, which I'll talk about uh, here in a little bit. And then uh, with even more prolonged exposure, uh, your signs and symptoms become much more profound. With children, when they start to really have a, acute lead toxicity, uh, they can have a, an encephalopathy. Uh, this kind of will manifest in really odd behavior. Uh, there's developmental regression. They'll have some ataxia, so a little bit of trouble with their balance and walking. Vomiting, seizures, you'll get brain swelling. Uh, this leads to increased cranial, intracranial pressure, uh, and that can lead to coma and then eventual death as well. This usually occurs, the, the blood level concentrations for this are pretty high. So if you have a child whose uh, lead blood level concentration is 70 to 100 micrograms per deciliter, that's where you're going to start to see um, these real uh, encephalopathic type of uh, manifestations. With adult, uh, you'll get this extremely high blood level concentrations, you'll get the similar neurological findings, uh, you'll get the encephalopathy, the confusion, headaches, seizures, and uh, obtundation, so just kind of uh, somebody who's completely not with it, not uh, able to respond to you. With the severe lead toxicity, it doesn't usually occur in adults from occupational exposures, but it's usual from exposures like large ingestions of contaminated like folk remedies, uh, or actually in contaminated moonshine as well is another huge, uh, I guess, uh, culprit for lead toxicity in adults. So how does it affect the body? So what is it exactly doing? What are the toxicokinetics here of, uh, of lead toxicity? Uh, one of the most important features I should talk about of the toxicokinetics is uh, how the absorption of the lead, the distribution of the lead, the metabolism of the lead, and the elimination of the lead is much different in children compared to adults. So both adults and children, uh, lead is primarily absorbed in either the lung or in the GI tract. So in the lung, obviously, from inhalation, uh, and the GI tract, obviously, from ingesting. Uh, lung absorption, it's pretty efficient both age groups. So about 
uh, of lead is inhaled. Uh, but children, because children actually inhale more air relative to their body size than adults do, uh, it places them at uh, much higher risk. Children absorb about 40 to 50% of the lead they ingest, uh, while adults only absorb about 10 to 15%. So, you know, you're looking at like, you know, four times, four to five times higher almost for children than adults uh, when they're kind of breathing it in. With, uh, with the GI absorption through the GI tract, uh, there's a higher level of toxicity in individuals who have deficits in iron, calcium, or zinc. And this is usually something that children have higher deficits of those than adults do, uh, especially in underdeveloped countries. Uh, rarely, like I said, you can get lead absorption from foreign bodies, uh, like bullets or other things that have been kind of in the soft tissues. Uh, not something where it's really significant enough uh, to cause acute illness uh, on a large scale. Uh, as I mentioned before, it should also be noted that lead does cross the placenta. So if you have lead toxicity in an adult who is pregnant, they will pass it on to their child. So once the lead's absorbed, you got it in the body, you were breathing it in, you were eating paint chips instead of potato chips, uh, and now you have lead toxicity. Exactly what does it do to the cells? So the crazy thing with lead is that it actually binds to red blood cells. Uh, once it binds to the red blood cells, since blood travels everywhere to give the body oxygen and uh, carry carbon dioxide, all the other wonderful things that uh, make cells live, uh, it's actually deposited into kind of two major areas. So you have the bone and then you have your soft tissues of the body where the lead's deposited. Uh, soft tissues are kind of like organ tissues. So you have your liver, your kidneys, uh, into the bone marrow, and then into the brain. Uh, in adults, about 85 to 95% is actually just absorbed into the bone. So you're not gonna see a lot of that uh, soft tissue involvement. Uh, whereas about 70% of the lead uh, is absorbed the bone in children's. Into, sorry, into, into the bones of children. The bones of children. Anyway, <laughs> so children, about 30% of the lead that they ingest is actually gonna go into those soft tissues. Uh, and this is again, you know, two to three times higher than where adults absorb. And those soft tissues, obviously, you're going to start to see the lead uh, cause more issues just with the cellular function. Children, again, um, because of these metabolically active sites, these soft tissues uh, are going to be at a higher risk for this toxicity of lead. Uh, there is uh, a portion of the lead that doesn't get absorbed into either of those, and it will be excreted through the kidneys and in the bile. Uh, but the majority of it is actually kind of uh, absorbed into the body, into those tissues. Uh, so once in the tissues, like, how does lead become toxic to the body? Kind of what's the pathophysiology here? So, you know, the lead binds to the red blood cells, gets deposited into these organ groups. Uh, what happens then? So the thing with lead, uh, like a lot of, uh, you know, elements, they, uh, they end up being bound to and have an affinity for uh, what are called sulfahydryl groups. Uh, these are electron, electron donor groups. Uh, that means that the lead binds and affects a wide variety of proteins in the body. Uh, because of the amount of the electron donor groups throughout the body, lead toxicity involves pretty much every organ system. Uh, there's also a huge similarity in lead. Uh, lead and calcium and zinc are all very similar. So this will actually interfere with a vast array of cellular mechanisms that are usually regulated by calcium and zinc because you have lead binding there instead of calcium or zinc binding. 
so when these elements are replaced, the functions they provide kind of become dormant and they can lead to a kind of dysregulation or dysfunction of any of those cells. From a systems perspective, body systems perspective here, um, neurologically, uh, lead kind of, it's thought to undermine normal synaptic functions in the brain, so the communication in the brain. Uh, this causes that cognitive and behavioral changes that you'll see in children. Seizures and coma, you know, this happens in that uh, acute lead encephalopathy. Uh, this is also thought to be partly at least uh, secondary to lead-induced changes from the kind of the, the vascularity of the, you know, the flow of the blood in the brain. Uh, it's thought to be issues there as well from lead toxicity. Uh, all this kind of results in that cerebral swelling. So you get that edema in the brain, and this causes intracranial pressure. And when the brain swells, that's when really bad things happen. That's when you'll get seizures and coma and eventual death. Uh, from a hematologic perspective, from a blood perspective, uh, lead can actually cause anemia, so a low blood cell count. This interferes with the function of several enzymes uh, just involved in cell blood production. So this happens in the bone marrow. And once again, that's one of the places lead gets deposited. Uh, I guess it also interferes with enzymes that maintain kind of blood cell integrity. So if your blood cells are damaged or destroyed, they end up dying. And then you have a, you know, an anemia caused by just the death of red blood cells. In the kidneys, uh, kidneys of lead, it's actually, so it, it causes tubule dysfunction. Uh, this is, uh, there's something called a Fanconi syndrome, and this causes a Fanconi-like syndrome. Uh, this is where the nutrients and molecules that are normally reabsorbed in the kidneys, kidneys really responsible, you know, just for kind of excreting the bad, retaining what you need. Um, kidneys are an amazing organ, so when anything goes wrong with the kidneys, watch out. Uh, normally, uh, these molecules that are reabsorbed by the kidneys are no longer able to be reabsorbed. Uh, lead has an issue there, so you're going to have deficits in probably some electrolytes and just other uh, molecules that are really important just as far as cellular function. Uh, also in the kidneys, uh, lead competes with uric acid for excretion in the distal tubule. This leads to just higher concentrations of urate. Uh, urate ends up getting deposited as urate crystals, and this is what essentially causes gout. And to this point, lead actually has a, there's a mechanism called saturnine gout, saturnine gout, geez. So a planet Saturn, saturnine gout, there we go, get that one right. Uh, but this is something that's uh, kind of another one of those hallmark signs and symptoms that you'll see with lead toxicity. Uh, it's also known to be uh, associated with uh, high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease. Uh, this is kind of thought to be secondary from a lot of the changes you see in the kidneys. Kidneys also really uh, play a big role in maintaining healthy blood pressure. So anytime you have dysfunction in the kidneys, you're likely to see high blood pressure as well from that. Uh, as far as uh, peripheral nervous system, you know, uh, lead also has a huge issue as far as uh, affecting the peripheral nervous system, and that's where you end up having that peripheral neuropathy where you're not able to really you know, kind of numb this to your, your, ex, your feet and your hands. Uh, as far as GI symptoms, GI symptoms, uh, it's not really well known how lead actually affects the GI tract, but it is known that uh, GI symptoms such as abdominal pain and constipation and anorexia are all usually associated with this lead toxicity. So what if I have lead toxicity? What am I gonna do about it, you know? What can I do about it? 
So uh, the most important thing is to find out where the lead source is coming from and get rid of it. So if it's uh, the home you live in, if it's where you work, if you have it in you know, a foreign body, uh, it's important to distance yourself from that, uh, get as far away from the toxin as possible. Most county and state health departments, at least here in the U.S., they have individuals who can actually come and assess your home, uh, especially if you have children living there. Uh, and I think that they're mandated. If you have a child who has a doctor's appointment and they're found to have elevated lead in their blood, they will have to come to your home and assess your home and see if they can pinpoint exactly where this comes from. Uh, people who ingest foreign bodies obviously should be monitored for the passage of the foreign body if they ate it. Uh, if not, if it's, you know something needs to be removed, should be removed. Uh, and anybody who's had like a massive ingestion of something, like I said, these home remedies, I guess, can have a lot of lead. Then uh, it may warrant kind of like a whole bowel irrigation. So uh, they may try and make you puke it up or poop it out. So uh, surgery also with bullets uh, should be a consideration. Patient's nutritional status is also really important at this point. Uh, as I said, it, uh, lead has a, kind of an affinity to take the place of calcium and of zinc. So calcium and zinc, as well as iron, iron's another big one that uh, you should make sure you have adequate uh, iron, calcium, and zinc. Uh, if you have low iron levels to begin with, you should also start iron therapy uh, just to help kind of replace and replenish your iron stores. And then there's chelation. So we talked about chelation in our last podcast with arsenic. Uh, so chelation, they're essentially metal binding molecules. They're specific pretty much for each metal forming. Um, they form a ring structure. This is called the chelate. And this helps to kind of, uh, it binds to whatever the heavy metal is and helps to remove it from the body. Uh, this is usually used uh, in combination with antioxidants for the uh, best effect. You usually only see it uh, for lead toxicity in children with a blood level concentration higher than 45 micrograms per deciliter. Uh, in adults, blood level concentration of 70 to 100 micrograms per deciliter will usually warrant chelation. Uh, any patient who has a lead encephalopathy, uh, this is usually accompanied by the high, uh, levels, of high, high levels of lead concentration anyway. Uh, they'll go under, undergo chelation therapy as well. For lead, there's a variety that can be used. Um, there's two though, I should say three that are most commonly used. Uh, there's one called Sussimer. Uh, then there is calcium, disodium, ethylene, diamond tetracid, <laughs> tetracid acid, yeah, that's it. It's EDTA, more commonly known. Um, see that a lot in chemistry. Uh, and then there's the British anti-leucite, or BAL, um, which is also nine, known as uh, dimer caprol. Those are the three major ones that are actually used for, uh, for lead chelation. Uh, it should be noted, uh, chelators, they're pretty slow and can be kind of inefficient, uh, even with uh, antioxidants. And some situations, especially with lead, can actually be more harmful. Um, they can actually mobilize lead that's in bone, which is pretty stable uh, and somewhat inert, and can move that lead from the bone into these softer tissue compartments where it can actually cause more acute toxicity. So I, it, I guess it's something I've never in my practice actually done chelation with anybody, um, but I would assume that if you're doing chelation with somebody who has lead toxicity, 
you would kind of keep a close eye on their um, on the levels of their blood levels for lead to see if you're actually doing more damage than uh, than good with the chelation. Uh, problems, uh, other issues uh, with chelation. I guess there's not a lot of data. Um, chelation will help remove the lead from the body, but it looks like any kind of neurological deficits that were pre-existing, or a lot of them, it's not going to reverse those. Like once the damage has been done, it's kind of there, even if you remove the lead. Uh, patients who have kind of mild to moderate symptoms, they may have a little bit of improvement or re resolution of some symptoms, uh, like their abdominal complaints and their, their malaise and tiredness may go away. Uh, but in others, uh, especially with some children, uh, I guess like growth in children is a big deal with uh, toxicity and sometimes that fails to improve. So. So what's the mortality rate here? So I mentioned earlier, um, you know, the WHO estimates that each year there's about a million people who die from lead poisoning. Uh, UNICEF also estimates about one in three children, so it's about 800 million globally, have blood lead levels that are greater than five uh, micrograms per deciliter. So it's a huge number. Uh, the mortality rate with acute lead encephalopathy before chelation therapy was about 65%. But that's actually dropped quite a bit. Uh, it's now under 5% now with the advent of the combination therapies, uh, the BAL and EDTA. Uh, so there's that, and there's also dramatic improvements in critical care. So it, it's hard to say if just the chelation alone or if it's actually the supportive care as well uh, that you get uh, with acute toxicity in a critical care setting has helped to drop this uh, mortality rate by 60%. But uh, even the post-chelation area, there's a lot of people uh, who get treated for that lead encephalopathy and survive, but they still have permanent neurological issues. There's the intellectual issues, uh, there's paralysis, and some people with seizure disorders. I do want to mention, we'll get to our death count here in a second, but uh, talking about maybe some fam like a, you know, famous or significant people who have had lead exposure in the past and had issues from it, so I've got kind of a list here. Um, the list is predominantly artists. Go figure, right? So who's going to get exposed to lead paint more than anybody else? Well, I mean, you know, if you're a house painter back in the day. But uh, a lot of artists in the past. There's probably multiple reasons for this. I mean, obviously the paint they were using was lead-based. As you often see in, in pictures of artists, they may have had their paintbrush in their mouth that had lead paint on it. They're going to have paint on their hands. Uh, you know, they live and breathe all around this area, paint dries, maybe it chips, maybe it flakes. So a lot of uh, possible exposure here for these artists. But let's, let's take a look. This is some very, very, very significant names on this uh, who either had, you know, either fatal illness thought to be from lead poisoning or they had uh, neurological issues uh, related to it. So uh, Michelangelo, Raphael, we have two of the, the Ninja Turtles there, uh, Rembrandt, Ren Rin. Uh, Paul Rubens, is it Paul Rubens? No, Paul, Ru Paul Rubens is Pee Wee Herman, <laughs> sorry. Uh, um, <coughs> Goya, Vincent Van Gogh, uh, and Frida Kahlo, all thought to uh, have had uh, neurological issues brought upon or death brought upon by uh, lead exposure. It's, uh, it should also be mentioned a couple of famous composers. So Frederick Handel, uh, was thought to have uh, died from lead poisoning. And then probably the most famous person, uh, I guess he kind of rivals Van Gogh or Rembrandt or Michelangelo, but, uh, but Ludwig 
von Beethoven. Old Beethoven here. Uh, he was actually posthumously found to have died from lead toxicity. So if you actually go into the internet and research it, you can look it up. It was actually done here in the United States. They kind of went back and took a look, and uh, they found that Beethoven died from lead toxicity. So pretty crazy. So let's get to our death count. So with the Who's approximation of about a million deaths per year, we'll kind of start there. Uh, since lead's really only been used in abundance uh, for the, you know, I'm going to go back maybe 250 years here, like 1873. Probably could have gone back longer. Um, you know, there's evidence of dating it back to 200 BC, but uh, I, I'm just going to use it last 250 years. So that's really when you see an abundance of lead paint, lead artillery, uh, in the last hundred years or so, leaded fuel, just other means of lead that could be introduced into the environment. So, uh, as we do, uh, try to do each episode, uh, just to kind of illustrate uh, how deadly these, you know, like if it's a microorganism or just something, this is a toxin, you know, it's in the environment, how deadly they can be. Uh, I'm going to take uh, our total dead, so we've got 250 million dead people, and we want to try and either see how far, how many times we can reach the moon, how many times we can reach the top of the Empire State Building, and how many times we can wrap our dead around the Earth. So we get a pretty significant number here. So with 250 million dead, we take the average height of about 5 foot 5 inches. Uh, now I know a lot of these are probably children, so it's, you know, the number's skewed, but uh, this is what I'm running with. So deal with it. Uh, we get a total of... 13,541,670,000 feet. That's a total of about 2,564,000, miles, 64,710 miles. So over 2 million, over 2.5 million miles here. So we're trying to stack our dead of the moon. The moon's 238,900 miles away. Uh, we could actually reach the moon 10.73 times. Uh, we were trying to get to the top of the Empire State Building. So the Empire State Building's at about 1,454 feet. We could reach the top 9,313,390 times. Then, if we wanted to try and wrap our dead around the Earth, uh, the Earth is 24,900 miles in circumference. Uh, we could actually circle the globe 103 times uh, with the amount of people who have died just in the last 250 years from lead toxicity. Now, like I said, this may, not, this may be a gross overestimate, it may be an underestimate, I don't know. But this is based on uh, numbers that I had and just kind of played with. So, uh, it's still crazy to think that even today that uh, lead toxicity kills about a million people per year. I just wouldn't have thought that. Uh, so that's lead toxicity. That's part two of the heavy metals. So I want to thank uh, everybody for listening. Uh, my followers on Twitter, thank you. Uh, I can be found at uh, MakeMeSickPod. At, on Twitter, and then uh, anybody who wants to contact me by email uh, for any you know show requests or feedback or recommendations, uh, you make me sickpod at gmail.com. Not sure what I'm gonna do next. Uh, it's it's wide open. If anybody has any suggestions, let me know. This will probably be posted uh, later today. I should mention today, April 25th, one year exactly was our first podcast. Uh, when it was on uh, the plague. So hopefully I've come leaps and bounds from then. Uh, I've learned a little bit. Uh, I want to thank anybody who's listened. I got a lot of listeners, uh, not only here in the United States, but just globally. Uh, every continent, uh, with the exception of, uh, of Antarctica, I think, uh, <laughs> has listened to my show. So thank you. Uh, 
like I said, anytime anybody wants to give feedback or give a recommendation, uh, look us up on Twitter uh, or just give me a shout uh, through the through the Gmail. So, but uh, thank everybody for listening, and uh, remember, wash your Did you eat a lot of paint chips when you were a kid? <laughs> Why? It's a bowel movement.